Is everybody warm? Happy to be here. Oh, we can all put our coats on and huddle around if we need to, huh? Yeah, it feels good in here. Praise the Lord. Let's just get right into it here this evening. Father, we're grateful, as always, for the precious word of God. We're grateful, Father, to be called one of your body, Father. We are lively stones, Father, that you have born into your body by way of the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit. We're identified, O God, with Jesus, our Savior, and with the power, hallelujah, of his resurrection, the Spirit of God. And we're thankful right now for the precious Holy Spirit who is our teacher. He's the one that would fill my mouth, Lord God, with words of wisdom, Lord God. He's the one that would anoint ears, Lord, to hear the purity of the truth of the living God. He's the one that would open eyes, O God, to see, Father, what we need to see in your precious word tonight. And we're grateful, Father, for this opportunity. Thank you right now for the precious bread of the living God. All glory and honor be unto you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're just going to roll right into this. It's been just a couple weeks since we've met. And uh, for those of you all that have not been with us, we've been talking about concepts of the Spirit-led life. And so, and how to be led by the Spirit of God, how to identify your inward voice. And uh, is that not an important thing to understand as a Christian? Absolutely it is. Hallelujah. We're created in the image of our Father. So would you all just say that with me? I mean, we've got our little confession that we make. Say, I am spirit first, created in the image of my Father. I am spirit, I have a soul, I live in a body. It's important. We are spirit first, folks, but so much of the majority of the Christian life is coming from the tangent of the flesh and the soul, and the spirit gets so little application, it gets so little focus, and so we're talking about the spirit about the Spirit-led life. And uh, that's what we've ta- uh, endeavored to, to talk about starting last month. And, and really kind of the endeavor began really with uh, uh, my mother-in-law talking about the gifts of the Spirit back in November. And then I've just kind of carried forth and laying some more foundation upon this. We're going to continue going this month for the next three weeks, this week and the next two, with respect to some more issues and getting to practicalities of knowing your inward voice, how to identify your inward voice, how to identify your inward voice. And in the process, you know, we've uh, talked about some very important things, and that is how to even know, how do you know you have an inward voice if you don't know that you're spirit first? How do you know uh, that you can identify that voice? Because there are many voices out there to hear. Amen? Amen. There are many voices out there. I mean, you're hearing my voice right now, but I mean, if you, if I shut my voice down, you're going to hear some of that other voice. There's lots of voices out there to hear. So which ones are the right ones to listen to? Which are the ones we need to give attention to? So we had to put some effort into laying the foundation and to get some understanding about what the spirit is, what the soul is, what the body is, and the voices of each of those parts of us. And so we, we identified those things and I encourage you to go back and listen into the, to the, uh, podcast or the MP3, ver- uh, files on the internet, on our website. 
because I don't have time to go back and lay again the foundations. We're going to continue on here. And uh, I'm just going to go right into where we left off. We left off uh, the end of talking about the soul, some of the specific aspects of the soul. And, uh, you know, we talked to several things about uh, identifying what the soul was and its voice and so forth. And, and the fact that the primary mode and reason for religion is because man pursues and tries to touch God through the limitation of only the soul. And that if we're not careful, if all we do is approach God and, and allow the, allow the, uh, fullness of our experience with God to be no deeper than our soul, then it's just going to be old dead religion, folks. Real quick. There's going to be a limited amount of life to it, if any at all. And that we have to be very careful. You know, we talked about, uh, several different scriptures. Uh, most importantly, you know, that 1 Corinthians uh, 2.14, you know, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. That's right there is a golden text, if you will, to uh, bringing to our awareness the necessity as we serve the living God to do so from the Spirit. And if we're going to learn about God, we've got to learn about him through the spirit. And if we're going to approach the things of God, we're going to have to approach the things of God by and through our spirit first, folks. Because that's where they're understood. That's where they're discerned, not in our soul. And in fact, the soul cannot receive them. They're foolishness, we said. Okay. So there was things, you know, that we talked about. uh, And I'm just building a little bit here to get back to where we left off. And the re- primary modes and reasons for religion. He, you know, man doesn't receive enlightenment of the truths of God's by way of their mind. So what happens is, is they set forth to establish their own. You know, and we talked about that in Romans 10.3. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own. That's exactly the definition of religion. When you do not accept, when you don't know and receive the spiritual through, through the Spirit, the understanding and enlightenment of the absolute truth of the things of God, then what happens is you seek to establish your own through the, uh, re, the understanding and the uh, purpose of reason, the avenue of reason, right? And if you do that, that's, that's, just, defi- that, that's just to me the, the poster child of religion. Right there, Romans 10.3. When we don't understand something of God, we have to be careful that we don't seek to establish our own interpretations. You know, we talked about the way uh, certain aspects that have actually divided the church, truths of God's word that have divided church because of this reason right here, because they've only sought to the depth of the soulish understanding and not continued on through what the spirit to be illuminated and achieve further revelation and understanding of the fullness of that truth. Things like baptism, man, my goodness, we got the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh Baptist church, you know, <laughs> well, we, there's third, there's at least three of them that I know of. Well, I, I mean, come on, y'all follow me now. Stay with me now. But I mean, baptism is just one thing though, folks. Look how many different churches have been divided over that. Just one issue. Gifts of the Spirit. 
You've got the camp that believes that the gifts of the Spirit were only for the dispensation of the apostolic uh, uh, peoples and that it died whenever the last one died. And then you've got, and then you've got the, uh, uh, camp, the charismatic camp. Well, you know, so we have the schism there. I mean, we can go on and on and on. But the thing, and the thing we have to realize is, is that we can pray, we can worship, we can preach, we can prophesy, we can give, we can love, we can serve, we can minister, and go on and on and on right down to the full annals of, of everything that take place in today's church. And every bit of it comes straight from the soul. Every bit of it. <clears throat> Amen. And the thing is, is that uh, and a, a lot of people say, well, what are you trying to say? Is there something wrong with that? Yes, there's something wrong with that because it's only a shallow perspective. It's only a shallow depth. It's only going to go so far, folks, because it's limited to the suke, the psyche. Okay, it's limited to the shallow breath of uh, that we have and not that deep, full on, powerful pneuma of the spirit of God. Hallelujah. That's been breathed in us. Praise God. And that is renewed and renews us day by day. And then, you know, and we talked about, you know, I'm not telling you, you don't do things from the soul now. Don't get me wrong. You have to live from the perspective of all three phases of who you are. Spirit first, though. Spirit first, though. Spirit first, though. You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to, I'm trying by way of the Spirit of God to bring the focus to the right place first. It's it, man, Spirit. Do you know that if we could get this right, we'd never make a bad decision? Never. Yeah. If we, why? Because we have the one who knows everything inside of us. Hallelujah. He's the precious Holy Spirit. He's the one that, that can deliver unto you the very mind of the living God. That's exactly what Paul was saying, but we have the mind of Christ. Well, how do we have it? We have it because we have his spirit within us. And who knows the thoughts of man except the spirit within him? So to the thoughts of God. Well, the spirit of God knows the thoughts of God, and we have the spirit of God, so we have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Somebody believes that. Glory to God. But at the same time, now let's don't get, let's don't lose focus here. We, we have all three parts and God expects that we enjoy the fullness of his kingdom with all three of our parts. You know, that's right, man. Get your body involved in the kingdom of God. Get your soul involved in the kingdom of God as well as, and then most importantly, of course, you're accessing everything and to begin the whole thing off first with spirit. Hallelujah. That's how we make the connection. Glory to God. Yeah, that's right. We don't want to be limited to the soulish experience or the flesh experience. We want to be uh, absolutely connected through the unlimited perspective of the spirit. Because it's unlimited. Hallelujah. And so 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 15 says this so well that it's all aspects, but it talks in particular here about the soul and the spirit. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, let him speak who speaks in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. 
For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit, but I will also pray with the understanding. Here he's laying out spirit, soul from a perspective of prayer. I will sing in the spirit, but I will also sing with the understanding. Here he's laying out for us singing, worshiping both from the soul and the spirit. See right there, he doesn't talk about your body, but the body just kind of comes along for the ride. Can't very well sing unless your body's involved. <laughs> Can't pray unless your, your, your body's involved. You got a mouth that, you know, that's your voice, physical voice in this dimension. So we can see the involvement of all three elements there, but we do see a distinction drawn between the spirit and the soul right there very clearly. And you're to do, you're to serve God with both through, through all aspects. But the spirit is the, the channel. The spirit is the connection that then feeds the other two, should be feeding the other two. The sad reality is you can even serve as a fivefold minister. An apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor and teacher, because of and by the soul. It's a sad reality, but it's true. You know, it is the, you know, it's, it's so sad. I've seen it in my own life, folks. You know, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I mean, where does that kind of word come from? Where does the kind of word come from that talks about you've lost your first love? Well, we're talking about people that were once fired up. We're talking about people that were once on, you know, absolutely ablaze for the things of God that were ha- that had that primary connection. But then what ends up happening, I think, in the process is, is that we grow in knowledge and we grow in knowledge and we grow in knowledge and become more and more comfortable and familiar with that. Then we, and we run off and leave the spirit in the concept. You know, it's, and I'm talking about Bible teachers. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about evangelists. I'm talking about people that can get so focused on one aspect and they can run off in developing knowledge, head knowledge in those areas and leave the spirit behind in the process. And there's a life into, there's a life involved in that. And God, He don't, He don't, He's not into the business of giving people gifts and giving people callings and just yanking them back out because you didn't do well that day and then give them back to you and yank them back out. No, whenever he puts something inside of somebody, they've got it for good, folks. The gifts and calls are without repentance. And if you'll yield your members, that gift and call will flow if you develop it for the glory of God. Okay, well, all right, we're going to move on here. So we, here's the deal. We have to be careful. This is where we actually left off that we don't get taken up with knowledge and leave the spirit behind or out of the picture altogether. And you know, that's how come ministers get off. That's how come people get off. And I remember conveying a story, you know, and I'm going to convey it again because I think it bears, it, you know, it bears repeating. But a minister that I've got a great respect for was talking uh, about a particular story. And this one traveling minister was coming through and a guy, a Bible teacher, 35 years plus this, this guy who's telling the story was talking about this guy. Very astute in the word of God. Very astute Bible teacher. 
he hears about this traveling minister coming in and he, t- he encourages his church members to go to this guy's meeting. They go to the guy's meeting and the guy's, uh, you know, preaching and everything. And the first meeting or so, it seems pretty good. And the second, and back in the day, you got to understand in the thirties and forties and fifties, man, they would have meetings for two and three weeks at a time every single night. And so here we go on. I mean, you don't hardly hear that anymore. It's a, it's kind of a shame, but it's just the truth. But anyway, the thing is, is that this, this traveling minister, he's gone on for two weeks or whatever it was, and they get into a course of, of a few days into it, and then be, the, the things just start not adding up. And, 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 and so this person actually goes to the meeting and hears what the guy's saying, and he comes to the place to where finally at the end of the service, he has to go up to the guy and say, well, now up until now, you know, I've just had to just basically, I, I, I'll just say, I may not understand everything from the word like you do, but you're going to have to prove to me in the word of God what you just said, what you just preached on tonight. And the guy said, well, what I'm talking about, you won't find in there. I'm way beyond that. And so, you know, and the guy said, well, I'm, you're way beyond me then because the word of God is the, is the existence of limitation for my judgment. And everything must line up with the word, folks. If it doesn't line up with the word, then you trash can it. That's all there is to it. I mean, we don't have, need to worry about anything else. We don't need to go on. We don't need to give any more consideration. If it does not line up with the word of God, forget it. If you cannot prove it out by the word, forget it. And if you think about the mistake made by Adam and Eve, you know, it was for the choice of knowledge over life. Remember, that's this is the point we're making here is that if we're not careful, we can get taken up with the pursuit of knowledge and leave the spirit behind. Well, what was it that God told Adam and Eve when he set them in the garden? Every tree you see here is for your food, is for your enjoyment, except the one you don't eat of. And what was it called? The tree of what was it? The tree of knowledge. Isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting that that is the only tree that if you ate of would separate you from all else of life? Isn't that interesting? You don't understand or you don't fathom or you don't accept the value of what's being taught tonight with respect to how important it is to to go beyond the soulish experience with God and ground everything to and through and by the Spirit first and develop that above everything else, then right there is a perfect perfect example of what... I mean, that exemplifies exactly what we're talking about. Of all trees you may eat except but one... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because, and then you see what ends up happening. You know, Satan ends up talking to him, to, to Eve, you know, and she ends up, and what does he tell her? He said, well, but the whole deal is God doesn't want you to eat because you'll know and be like him. Because you'll have knowledge, see. I don't know if anybody's getting this or not. The letter versus the spirit, it's the same issue. Think, hear what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. He says, he made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, but not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit produces life. Right here, he's laying out 
to me, a very clear analogy of soul and spirit because the letter has to do with only a head knowledge concept of the words on the page. The spirit has to do with the life behind those words. You know, the word of God is living. Hallelujah. You said that, brother, on Sunday. But it's living because of the spirit of God behind it that breathed it. Yeah. So hallelujah, man. I mean, we've got to to understand this, folks. You can approach this very word of God from a soulish perspective, and it does not contain life in and of itself from mere words on a page. It contains life because of where, uh, from whom it was born and spoken. Hallelujah. And that's the very spirit of God through men that submitted themselves unto that spirit to be led in divine utterance. Hallelujah. So keys to the spirit-led life, let's just talk about a couple of them. We're drilling down now. The first one is just yieldedness. Yieldedness, the keys to spirit-led life. The first one, yieldedness. And really what yieldedness means, it just means just like that, uh, that triangle sign out there in the roadway, you're yielding, you're submitting the right-of-way to someone else ahead of your own desire. Isn't that good? That's exactly what it is. Yieldedness is nothing more than submission. When you yield, it's not, I mean, you're, you're, you're yielding your right to do something, to be in the way, to, to step out first, do whatever it is, just insert blank. You're submitting that right. It's not a forced thing. It's a willful submission. That's yieldedness. And here's the deal. Talking about keys to the spirit-led life. If you sit in a position that you are not yielding the right-of-way to the precious Holy Spirit, He can and will never be able to work in your life. He won't be able to. Because it's always your agenda ahead of His. It's always your desire and your decisions ahead of His. You have to yield those to him, folks. Hallelujah. You have to yield your agenda. You have to yield your desires. You have to yield your right even to understand. We talked about that a little bit the last time. About how the Holy Ghost told me very clearly, just like a, almost like a voice behind me speaking, that told me, Greg, you need to understand that we have to, you have to yield your right to understand. We don't have to understand everything. See, again, knowledge, knowledge. Understanding is knowledge. We have to come to the place, folks. This walk is by the Spirit, and the Spirit doesn't make sense to the, to the mind. It's foolishness. Faith is the most foolish thing to your mind you can ever conceive of. But yet is the substance of our ability to make the connection in the Spirit to manifest what is a reality there into this dimension. That's faith. And that does not make sense to the human mind. But yet what you have to do is yield your right to understand it from a soulish perspective and just work the works, folks, from a spiritual perspective. Just believe. What was it that the disciples, they asked him, what must we do? And Jesus said, these are the works, man, that you believe in the one whom he sent. That's a, just simply believe, man. It's not about you trying to understand the concepts of, 
of every little issue with what Jesus, uh, you know, was doing to satisfy or fulfill the law. It's about you just believing in the one whom he sent to be heaven's Passover lamb who would once and for all carry the burden and the pain and the shame and the punishment that we should have endured. Yieldedness, though, you have to yield. You got to yield the right of way to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, here's the thing about submission. Here's an important thing to understand about submission. Submission is not agreement. Submission is not agreement. You know how easy it is to go along with someone you agree with? You know how easy it is to yield to something that you agree or support? Oh, don't shout me down now because I'm preaching so good. No, this is a critical issue. You know what? Because we walk along, tiptoe through the tulips, and it's just like, well, you know, we're doing great as long as we agree. We're doing great as long as I support what you're doing. You're doing great as long as I understand. Again, yielding your right to understand. You know what? I'm going to tell you what. There were a lot of the patriarchs of old. God told them to do some things they didn't understand. (laughs) And if they hadn't yielded their right to understand, we wouldn't see the stories we see written in the Old Testament. Amen? My goodness. We could talk all night about some of those folks. Just talk about David in particular. Talk about Moses. Oh, my goodness. You're going to do what, God? I'm going to tell Pharaoh what? I'm going to cast down a stick and it's going to turn into what? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I better yield my right to understand if all this is going to happen. Okay, but submission is not agreement. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And I think the reason why I have this scripture in here is because you realize that the, this submission of your body as a living sacrifice is the submission of your agenda, of your right to understand. Insert blank. And that that process isn't a one-time submission. It's a continual submission because I like what Pastor Dale said. That sacrifice is living and it keeps wanting to crawl down off the altar. It's a living sacrifice. Well, I don't know about you, but but I can only imagine them old boys that took the goats and stuff back in the day and they set them up on the altar. Unless they killed them, they didn't stay up on that altar. They got right back down. They had to get them back up there again. It's the same thing with our life. It's a living sacrifice. We have to keep putting that sacrifice back up on the altar. But the process of that is a spiritual thing. It's an, in fact, it's worship unto God. It's the essence of our, of our, the essence of our sacrifice is worship. Hallelujah. Unto Him. Okay. Listen to what the characteristic of wisdom in James 3.17 talks about. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. So we see submission is a characteristic of wisdom as well. We see submission talked about from a perspective of submission to one another in Ephesians 5.21. 
submission to authority in terms of Romans 13, 1, to our spiritual leaders in terms of Hebrews 13, 17, to God in terms of James 4, 7, to our Father's discipline, Hebrews 12, 1 through 13. Submission is throughout the New Testament, folks. Submission is, is, is throughout the Old Testament in terms of, uh, some of the wonderful things that we see, uh, exemplified in, uh, patriarchs' lives there. But submission is, that's what you, we're talking about keys to the spirit-led life. First one, yieldedness or submission. Submission is an essential part of being led by the spirit of God. It's essential part of you being able to walk a, 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 a life that is led by the spirit. Simple submission. So if, if, are you yielded? That's the first question I have to ask. If you want to be, if you want to walk this life, a life led by the spirit, a spirit led life, are you a submit, are you a submitted person? I mean, ask yourself that question. You know, I know there, I know there's some people that there, it's just not really in their fabric to be a submitted, submitted person. You're going to have a particular time with this. I mean, everything has to be, your hand has to be on it. Your feet have to be moving the, you know, the bur- your shoulder has to be bur- uh, bearing the burden. Your feet have to be moving the, the essence of what's happening. The second key, openness. Openness. And some people say, well, and it's the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. Open, openness just simply means exactly what it says. Your availability. Are you available? It's like, are you open and ready for business? Well, are you, are you available for business with the Holy Spirit? Are you open? Are you in a position that you're actually even searching to be led by the Spirit of God? And one of the principal things that are, that puts you in a place of openness is to be focused on and searching to the Spirit, your Spirit, connected with the voice of your Spirit, listening to Checking in with, hallelujah. If we're not doing that, you know, are we, are we open really? Well, I would argue that maybe you're not. If it's all just the soul, then your soul is not. You got to make your soul submit it. You got to submit your soul to your spirit. Your soul has to be brought in submission. It has to be brought in submission. Your soul has to be yielded, but you have to be open from your heart. I want to be available for the Spirit of God to use. I want to be available to speak the words that he would bring to me. I want to be available to give. I want to be available to release the essence of my Father's life, his agape love to people. I want to be available for that. Hallelujah. And if all you're focused on is what you want, you're going to miss what he wants. That's what we're talking about here. Openness. John 7, 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God. You have to make a choice to do God's will. You have to make a choice to do what he wants you to do. You have to be open for it, but it's a choice for it. And if you want to find out whether or not the teaching comes from God, if you want to find out whether something comes from God or whether it's of God, this whole process of being led by the Spirit, 
Hearing the voice, if you want to find out, quote unquote, find out, be open. You have to be open, folks. Talking about keys to the spirit-led life, you have to be open. Openness is the second one. So be careful about setting desires and plans and agendas in stone and making statements of absolutes concerning your life. I will never do such and such. I'll always do this. Or when I get through here, I'm going to do this and this and that's such and such. Just be careful about that and make sure that when you make those statements, there's always a little postscript at the end of that statement that says, unless I hear differently. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there needs to be a, there needs to be, that's openness, see? You're leaving the door open for God to change the plan. You see what I'm saying? That goes for us leaders in the church and the things, in the programs and projects and things that we feel like we're being led in and so forth. We need to always be open. And even when we get up to the place that we've launched those things, and even when we get weeks into it, and maybe even months and maybe even years, we need to always have that little thing down below, that little fine print that God always sees that they're open. They're open to change. They're open to make an adjustment. They're open to, to accept a different direction. They're open to close the shop down and open up something different. You see it? Amen? Yeah. You have to be willing to consider something else or you won't hear. That's the importance of openness. You've got to be willing. That's what openness is, being willing to consider something else. That's another way to define openness. If you're not willing to consider something else, then you will not hear. You just won't. I mean, that's the simple, that's really the simple vehicle of listening is being open. Amen? Yeah, being open. People that are not good listeners are, are the reason why they're not is because they're not open. People, people, and, and it comes down to this. They're entrenched and, and siloed in their own opinion above everyone else. And they're not open to hear anyone else's point of view. It's a, the simple, that's it. My way or the highway. The simple truth of it is they're not open. Are we that way with the Holy Ghost? All right. Psalm 8110. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. There's another wonderful verse about being open, but this is a little bit different concept. You're just in a place that where your sustenance and your desire and your hunger and your appetite are first from the hand of God before anything else. And what is it? I mean, is it because we're so sate with everything else that we don't want to open our mouths for God? Man, my goodness, folks. It says, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? And I can hear the spirit of God's word unto my own heart and my soul saying, who delivered you up from the, the muck and the miry clay? Who brought you up from the cursed path that you were on, destined to be permanently separated from me? Who brought you up from that and redeemed your life from destruction? Open wide your mouth, Greg, and I will fill it. And I, I think there's a people here right now within the sound of my voice that, that are open. 
They want the Lord their God to fill their mouth with good things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, and being truly open, it's an active posture. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. And you can think about Samuel. You know, Eli had to instruct him how to hear the prophecy. He had to instruct him how to hear the word, the voice of the Lord. Because Samuel came to him and was like, I'm hearing something, but I'm not for sure. And then Eli tells him, he instructs him to respond. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Isn't that interesting? And if you look at the Hebrew word translated listen, okay, or, or, or hears, it implies listen and obey. It's not just, it doesn't just imply the simplicity of receiving the message, but it implies receipt and, and, uh, obedience. Yeah, receipt and action. Receipt and action. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens, or he hears. Hebrew word there, it, it, it implies listen and obey. So, in other words, that's an active listening posture. If you're, if, openness that I'm talking about is an openness that is an active posture that whenever you're, that it doesn't just mean that you're available to hear the word, but you're available to hear it because you're going to respond immediately to it. Because you're going to respond. That's why you're wanting to hear the word. I wanted to hear it, Lord, because when I hear it, that's when I'm going to set my feet to the steps that you've ordered. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Listening or hearing God requires, it requires a preemptive readiness to obey. And I love what uh, Exodus 24, 7 says. It says, we will obey and we will hear. Isn't that interesting? They put obedience even before hearing. In other words, the active posture of, of receipt and openness to the word of God was such that they would be willing almost to step out before the full message is received. They're that ready to go. They're that open to the Lord's instruction. That's, boy, that's openness. Let's move on to the third key. Clear conscience. Clear conscience. This is where the rubber starts really hitting the road, folks, about the inward voice, about identifying your spirit's voice in your life. Clear conscience. If, if you're going to be led by the Spirit of God, leading that Spirit-led life, one of the keys is to have a clear conscience. And what is the conscience? Well, the conscience just simply is an awareness or motivation derived from morals or ethics that governs a person's thoughts and actions. That's what Webster says about it. But the thing is, the conscience is actually much more than that because it's not limited to only the soul. And in fact, from the biblical perspective, the conscience is really the voice of your spirit. It's the voice of your spirit. It's not seated exclusively in your soul, but actually we're going to find out by way of the word of God that it's a connection or there's a nexus between your soul and spirit. It's a point at which your spirit and soul make contact. And there's a co-knowledge. Conscience. There's a co-knowledge. There's a co-witness. It's the voice of your spirit. It's the voice of your inward being. 
And we talked about conscience being the voice of the spirit, reasoning being the voice of the mind, and feelings being the voice of the body. Those, remember, there's a lot of voices in this world. There's a lot of voices in your own being, of which your three parts, spirit first, soul, and body. We talked about that. And each one of those have voices. But the conscience is the primary channel through which the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. Listen to what Hebrews 10, 16 says. It says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Isn't that interesting? I I, I believe that we're going to get some revelation we've never had before tonight with regard to this scripture. Maybe you have, but maybe it's just new to me then. But when you look at this scripture... And you can see very clearly just from the iteration of the words on the page, not even going into the original language, that after the establishment of the new covenant, the dispensation of grace, and the the execution of the gospel, if you will, Jesus, in other words, death, burial, resurrection, and then seating at the right hand of God, and then our ability then to be born into him and then born after his nature, It says, after that time, after the new covenant, I will put the laws in the hearts of men. In other words, it's not the outward law written on a page that that men were trying to ascribe their hearts to in order to live a life of righteousness and be able to approach God. It's that, that the spirit and essence behind what that law was to begin with would then be put within you. Hallelujah, whenever you become a a, uh, person of the new covenant. Praise God. But it doesn't stop there, folks. And I will write them on their minds. Isn't it interesting that there is a conscience, there is a co-speaking of the law of God from the heart and and from the mind in the process here. Do you all see that? I will write it on your heart. I will put it in your mind. Hallelujah. That is a scriptural, to me, definition of conscience. It's a scriptural uh, uh, example of conscience. So notice that the laws are put in the heart. They're written on the mind. And folks, this is the process. The new nature of the inner man is the avenue through which the mind is renewed. See, it's the heart first, then the mind. It's the spirit first, then the soul. And you can see it in this scripture as it pertains to the law of God. So what is conscience? Let's define it from a scriptural perspective based on this verse then. It's so so clear to me. And then when you look at the old language, I mean, the original language, really what it is is, Here's, here it is. Conscience is the voice of the spirit. We talked about that. It's the voice of your inward man, your inward leading. It's the voice that if we'll learn to follow, we won't make mistakes. If we'll learn to develop our hearing of that inward voice, we will always walk in the steps God's ordered for us. Amen? You won't invest the money in the wrong thing. You won't, you know, uh, get in your car at the wrong time and drive to the wrong place at the wrong time. You won't accept that job offer. You won't marry that person. You won't. See what I'm saying? But yet the thing is, we go through life so oftentimes 
When we come to the junction of those kind of decisions with this going, eh, 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 and up here is going, eh, eh, and we just go on with this and leave this behind in the process whenever we need to reconcile the two. It's the law of the heart and what's written in your mind. It needs to be, there needs to be a reconciliation and then you'll make good decisions. Hallelujah. Hebrews 8.10. So listen to what this says. Here's what the Holy Ghost gave me. The conscience is the process of the inner man. I want everybody to listen very closely, okay? Here it is. We're We're drilling down to being able to hear our inner voice, being led by the inward witness. How do we do that? Well, we need to know what the voice of our, of our inner man is. It's a conscience. We need to know what that voice is that we need to be listening to, where the Spirit of God is going to, to speak from through our spirit and then illuminating our mind. Here it is. Is everybody ready? Conscience is the process of the inner man nudging or inspiring the mind. That's what it is. That's it. It's the process of the inner man inspiring your mind to make a good decision, you know, inspiring your mind to make a decision in line with that inner leading, in line with, guess what, the mind of God that's inside of you by way of the person of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. If you have the Holy Spirit resident in you, that is. I'm going to say it again. Conscience, what is it? It's the process. It's the process of the inner man nudging or inspiring your mind. But here's the problem, folks. It doesn't matter if you've got someone screaming at you with regard to an instruction. If you don't do what that instruction, if you don't receive it, submit to it, and do what it says, it doesn't matter. You might as well have not had it given to you to begin with. And how often do we live our lives with that constant presence of the mind of God trying to speak from the inward man through way of our conscience and nudge our mind to the right inclination for decision, and yet we go on with the, the shallowness of the psyche? As, as the basis for our decision. That's only, that's all we look to. Well, that didn't add up last time, so I'm gonna go with, see what I'm saying? It's knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Everything's based on knowledge that our decisions come from. Well, you know what? When it pertains to, I mean, the Bible says the just shall live by, that's right. It doesn't say the just shall live by knowledge. It says they'll live by faith. They'll live by faith. You're not going to live by faith. I'm going to tell you right now, you will not live by faith if you're not willing. And if you do not identify the voice of your conscience and yield to it. If you don't learn to identify the inward voice. If you don't, if you don't learn to follow as a, as, as supernatural process, this inner man nudging your mind to the right decision to the right words, to the right things to do. That's conscience. And in fact, the majority of the time, folks, you know, so many of us, you know, we sit in a place where, and I've done this many times, too. I'm like, God, why don't you just speak to me? 
I mean, can't you speak to, uh, why, I mean, wh- how hard would it be, God, just manifest your voice where I can hear it with these ears? Yeah, somebody's saying, Green, they, they've been there before. It's like, dear Lord, God, I've walked all these years, I haven't heard it. Can you give it to me one time? You did it for Paul. You know, you did it for, you know, for Moses. I mean, come on, man, you're not a respecter of person. Speak to me. Well, I mean, does anybody identify with that? Have you ever been in a situation where you would just like, God, speak? I, if you just speak an audible vo- voice to me, in an audible voice, I, it, was, it would help me out. <laughs> but the problem is, <laughs> God, it, again, the just shall live by faith. God is not going to... And I would probably canvas the room here. How many of you all have ever heard the audible voice of God? Has anyone ever heard the audible voice of God with these ears? Well, I mean, some people do. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But I'm going to tell you it's a slow, a low percentage of people. So then what that means is, is that if we're looking to hear God's voice, we don't look at it, look to be hearing with these ears. Y'all see where I'm going with this? That means we have to look for his voice where it's being spoken, where it exists, and it exists in the spirit. Because the Father God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, they that communicate with him must communicate with him in spirit and in truth. They that serve him must must serve him in spirit and truth. And everything else falls into place under that submission you know, and submitted to that, under that order. So that means we need to find out how we hear the voice of God. And it's, we okay, so I think we've proven, because there's no one raised their hand here, maybe one that have heard the audible voice of God. So that's probably not the way we're going to be led. Would everybody agree with that? Okay, so we have to identify the voice of God. Where is it going to come from most of the time? And I'll tell you that the majority of the time, the Holy Spirit, he'll confirm, he'll approve, he'll admonish you through your conscience. Through your conscience. Through that inner man, the the renewed, after the likeness of God, inner man, the one in whom dwells the Spirit, his, his Holy Spirit, who knows every thought and intention of his, who who's ordered for you your steps before the the beginning of the world. He lives inside of you, and he speaks to your spirit. If you're open, if you're yielding and available, if you're available, if you're submitted, he speaks to your spirit, and that voice is going to is going to be there nudging at the, at times your your mind, nudging. That process is conscience. The process of the inner man nudging or inspiring the mind. And that's the majority of the time. I'm just going to settle it now. There's not going to be this thing we build up to and wonder what this this mystery is in being led by the Spirit. It's not something that you're looking for in terms of this special experience, in terms of this thing that's going to confound your mind or bring hair up on the back of your neck. Or make you run around the room every every time you engage it. No, because I can t- show you a prophet of old one time that was led out and said, go on out to the mountain if you want to hear me and you want to see me. And what happened? It said there was an earthquake and there was wind and there was all this stuff that took place. But God wasn't in any of those. But he was in after all that past what? 
the still, small voice. Folks, God is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if my God who made the mountains and could shake them like he did, said, I'm not in all those things, then why are we looking for him in that manner to manifest? Why? I mean, let's get it settled. The prophet learned the lesson there. Why can't we just take the lesson that he learned and apply it to our lives? Stop looking for the spectacular and live in the supernatural. I love that. That's not my words. That was Kenneth E. Hagin. He used to say that all the time, that God told him to tell the people to stop looking all the time for the spectacular and live in the supernatural that's right now all the time available. It's the super of the Spirit on your natural experience in this dimension. That's what supernatural is. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, the supernatural... You know what it is? It's the voice of God through your conscience. It's the still small voice, the inward witness, the inward knowing, the co-witness. You can characterize it many different ways. Okay, so we talked about the importance of a clear conscience. Well, let's look at some scriptures. 2 Corinthians 1.12, listen to what Paul says. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. See, right there is an inward, is an inward voice that's telling them they've done the right thing here. Their conscience is clear. As they relate to the Corinthian church, we see here in Acts 23, 1, we're talking about clear conscience. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the councils, uh, said, men and brothers, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. What is it that we're talking about with respect to these uh, uh, verses? Well, what we're talking about is making sure that the channel through which God predominantly is going to speak to you is clear. We want that channel... Because here's the big uh, revelation. Is everyone ready for it? In being led by the Spirit of God, in being led by the inward witness, and even receiving that uh, signal, or or in being able to do those things, is being able to receive the signal to begin with. And the reason why we can is because it's cluttered up. It's cluttered up. We've got to dial in to that signal. And here's the reason why. Because clutter in your conscience, it keeps you from getting a firm hold on that truth and allowing that inward nudging to be clearly inspiring to your mind or even give it a chance to do so. That clutter that's in your conscience, it will keep that from happening. It'll keep you from even being able to resolve the direction from God. And you know, there's an example. It's like if you went into a garage and you're trying to find... How many of y'all have ever looked for a certain tool that you know that you have, but you go into that toolbox that's as big as that chair right there, and you begin digging through it, and you can't find it because why? It's so cluttered up. Or I go into my garage looking for something. It's too cluttered. I can't get to where I need to go because there's too much in the way for me to be able to find what I'm after. So what are things that clutter the conscience? What are things that, that cause your conscience to be a, a, to be quiet, to where you cannot hear it? To maybe the voice of God is not strong through your conscience, that still small voice. Maybe you don't perceive it. Well, what could be the problem? 
We're talking about practical truths here, folks. Things that clutter the conscience. Unfulfilled promises. Things that you have committed with your mouth to do that you've not done. I've got some in my life right now. Unfulfilled promises. That'll clutter your conscience. And you know how I can say that? Because it'll keep coming back to you. Oh, I remember so-and-so and so-and-so. And And then three weeks later, it'll come back to you again. And then two weeks later, it'll come back to you again. And until you take care of it, or until you choke that down to the place that you don't give it any more uh, uh, ear or attention, it's one of the two, it's going to clutter your conscience. Unfulfilled promises. Unforgiveness will clutter your conscience. You want to talk about a big old stopper that's going to take a big old bunch of Drano, spiritual Drano, man, to unclog. Unforgiveness will do it real fast. That'll clutter your conscience. That'll block the channel, folks. That'll include it. Procrastination. Continuing to ignore that the things that you know to do. You know, the thing about the spirit-led life is God never demands us to do anything that we don't, that we don't already understand to do. He doesn't like, he doesn't like make these unrealistic expectations on you. He wants you to walk in the light of what you know right now. I mean, if you know something, walk in the light of what you know now. Don't be looking for some other light. Walk in the light you've got now. And so what that means is, is don't keep putting off the things you know to do now in order to get to the bigger and better things. Do the things you know to do now. That's procrastination. It's putting things off. Procrastination is just putting things off, putting things off, putting things off. Are we putting things off? Whatever they might be. Are we putting off the very important things? That'll clutter your conscience. That'll stop up the conscience. We're talking about the avenue by which we predominantly hear the voice of God, folks, is through our inward knowing, our inward man, our conscience, how we are led by the Spirit. How we are, how are we led? By way of our conscience, our inward voice. If it's cluttered, folks, we're going to have a tough time being led. That's just as simple as I can make it. Guilt is another, is another one. Guilt will clutter your conscience. We talked about that last time, so I'm going to invite you to go back to the tape because I spent some time on that. Guilt. Don't allow guilt to clutter your conscience. My goodness, folks, Jesus' blood is more than sufficient. It paid the fullness of price. Either it did or it didn't, folks. Either it did or it didn't. It's time to resolve that right now. If you have and are suffering under guilt, it's because you don't put the fullness of your uh, uh, understanding or the fullness of your expectation in something that goes beyond your understanding, and that's the blood of Jesus. You don't, by, by faith, cast that care upon that. And let me tell you what, Jesus' blood, it paid for every sin, no matter how great. It either did or it didn't, folks. It's not halfway in between. Hallelujah. Okay. And then here's something that's very important. Ignoring your conscience and leaving it cluttered, it makes it dull. It dulls it down. It dumbs it down. And it makes it resistant to the inspiration of the precious Holy Spirit within you. 
And how can I say that? Well, I mean, let me just give you a good example, you know, and I've, I've preached this to youth before, and it's like, but this is, it applies to all of us. It's the same thing. It's like when you're in that situation and you're watching something that comes up on TV, and a certain thing comes up on that TV or on the radio or on the music or whatever it is that you're feeding your soul, and then something inside of you begins to be bothered in the experience. Something inside of you is just kind of grating you a little bit about what's taking place. And then instead of listening to that and turning off and, and doing something different or skipping past or whatever the case might be, you continue to go on and on and on in that and you ignore that inward witness. You ignore that conscience voice. That's and what, and, and what happens is we'll do this over and over and over again to the point that we dull it. We literally dull our conscience. Yeah, you just get numb. You just get numb. Listen to what Acts 24, 16 says. So I strive always. Everyone say always. I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. That is Acts 24, 16, a wonderful verse that really just typifies what we're talking about here with respect to keeping a clear or with respect to having a clear conscience. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're just going to end right there. Hallelujah. And we'll go on next week. We're drilling down more and more to the inward witness, the inward knowledge, the inward voice being led by that. I'll I'll leave you with one illustration that I got from a minister and he's talking about, you know, about the dullness, you know, about about searing, the Bible even talks about a seared, searing your conscience even, you know, dulling it, searing it over. And he was talking about how, you know, he would go over to this uh, family's house to stay in order to uh, uh, preach, a, you know, preach for a, a revival or whatever. And it was out in, back in the day when they didn't have the ability to drive back and forth 40 miles in a, in a day without batting an eye. I mean, you, you, you went by wagon or whatever to get out there, or you, you, you barely got a ride one way, and you had to stay out there for a while, be committed to the process, you know. So he's out there staying with somebody in the process of this meeting, and he said that he ends up getting up in the mornings with the, with the, the old gentleman that, is in the house, the grandpa, everybody else had to work. It was on a farm. They got up real early, left, went outside to go work. And uh, except for the old man, he stayed there. And then the preacher, you know, and they all went down to go eat breakfast about eight o'clock in the morning. And he said that his wife, the, uh, the, the grandma of the house would be making coffee. Well, they didn't have stoves like we had now. They had the wood fire stoves, the big black pot belly stoves that you just put stuff on and it heated and it, and you couldn't control how hot it got. If you put it up there and left it up there very long, it just it got fiery hot, as hot as that stove was. And he said he remembers looking over and seeing that coffee pot just boiling. I mean, about to come apart. Apart, it was so hot, boiling so hot, and that the grandma would go over there and grab that coffee pot and pour it into a cup and give it to the grandpa, and he wouldn't even bat an eye, grab that cup and lift it to his mouth and drink every bit of it down without stopping. And, 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 and the minute, and the, the minister said that he saw him do that the first time and he said he liked to screamed out because it hurt him to watch it happen. He said literally that coffee was just, was just dancing in there. It was so full of energy. It was so hot. But that, yeah, he could take that coffee and he could drink it down and just enjoy every single ounce of it without pain, without issue or whatever. And, it, and, and, and the minister said, if I would have done that, it would have killed me. I mean, it would have sent me to the ER. 
And he said all of that from a perspective of demonstrating or exemplifying uh, through analogy, you know, if you will, how a conscience can be seared. Because how did that man get to the place that he could drink coffee that hot? Y'all see what I'm saying? He did it through a process of building up, of dulling his senses. He did it through a process of dulling his senses. And that's exactly what you can do to your conscience. You can, through a process of time and continued ignoring, 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 dull and dull and dull that voice. We don't want to do that. Hallelujah. All right. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're the teacher and that you would just divide severally as you will uh, uh, understanding, revelation, Father God. Thank you for just uh, making this an engrafted word, bringing it to people's souls, Father, that it would become implanted, Lord, and that it would bring forth, Father God, a harvest, Lord, in people's lives of understanding. Thank you, Father, for leading and guiding us by way of your spirit through the word of God. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.